Hey guys, it's your Murder Girls here. This is Marie. Happy Friday, it's Raina. So we're coming at you guys today to actually change it up a little bit. We're going to give you some updates on some cases that we've covered in our episodes that you guys have tuned into. There's actually been a lot of developments in some of these stories uh, that we've gone over with you guys on the Those Murder Girls podcast. So we want to bring you guys up to date. We also want to say thank you to the listeners that have sent us emails or tagged us in some of these updates. We get crazy busy like in our day jobs and sometimes (laughs) we're a little bit behind. So thank you guys for listening and thank you guys for hitting us up. We really appreciate it. So let's start with our updates. We have our first update on episode one, Michael Sandoval. His tragic story was out of Montrose, Colorado. He was found deceased on his kitchen floor in the home that he and his family shared on July 25th, 2019. All the signs pointed to murder from the viewpoint of his family. And as you guys know from the episode that we aired in July, his death was officially ruled a suicide just before that. So at the time of the release of episode one, we were working close with Michael's parents and his family to get this story out. At the time, they only had a few official documents pertaining to Michael's death, which included a seven-ish page police report. So they had finally received a full copy of the full coroner's report and a complete autopsy. And they're eager to move forward with obtaining an independent autopsy report to hopefully shed some light on exactly how Michael lost his life. I mean, this has been a year and a half now. Like, they just want answers. They want to know the truth pertaining to their son's death. And they just don't feel like what they've been told so far is the true and accurate story as to what happened. They just really have a lot of questions. So they've had some luck finding some professionals that are willing to assist this process. But, I mean, as you can imagine, it's, the charges are insane and it's, it's not a cheap process. So they're asking, you know, for the public's assistance in this process, donations, anybody that can help them. We are going to link Michael's GoFundMe on our social media. If you guys can please share this link and share Michael's story, share the episode. And if you can donate, it can be a dollar. It can be $2. Every little bit is going to help bring Lonnie and Darren closer to finding answers about what happened to their 17-year-old son. And there's also an anonymous tip line for the Montrose PD. The phone number is 970-249-8500. Anybody with tips or information is asked to call that number. You can remain anonymous. If you want to give your name, you can. Just the important thing is, is that justice is served for Michael. Yes. If you know something, say something. Right. So moving into episode two, the Audrey Moran and Jonathan Reynoso case out of Coachella Valley. Uh, They went missing from Coachella back in 2017. And if you remember in the episode, it's pretty much like they just vanished without a trace. It was a very, very interesting case that we got to cover. So law enforcement has been working very diligently over the last three years. They were able, you guys, to nail six people in connection with their disappearance and now murder. The investigation included hundreds of interviews with over 50 search warrants that were issued. 
So in our episode, we were able to tell you guys the names of those who were arrested. They had just been arrested like a week or two before we recorded. So what we gave you guys in that episode was completely up to date. So just to run through the six people and their charges, it was Manuel Rios, 28 years old from Coachella. He's charged with two counts of murder. Abraham Fragoso, 32, of Indio, being charged with one count of murder and accessory to murder. Adeline Castaneda, 27, of Coachella, is being charged with one count of murder and accessory to murder. Aaron Bernal, he is 28 years old of Indio, being charged with one count of murder and accessory to murder. Jesus Ruiz, 41, of Stockton, California, being charged with two counts of accessory to murder. Eric Rios, 31, of Coachella, being charged with two counts of accessory to murder. So all of these defendants have pled not guilty, and investigators haven't gone through the motives for these killings or the role that each of them have played, and some of these defendants are facing the death penalty. All six of them have pled not guilty. They all remain in custody, and they have a hearing coming up on December 11th. At the Riverside Hall of Justice. These are some pretty serious charges. And when Rain and I were doing these updates and researching it, we found out that two of these defendants are actually a couple. Manuel Rios and Adeline Castaneda, they're a couple. And in one of the articles that we pulled, it stated that they they knew Audrey and Jonathan. They didn't say how, but they said that they were acquaintances of them. So we did a little bit more digging and found out more about Manuel Rios and Miss Castaneda. So Manuel Rios and Miss Castaneda, they were Coachella residents. Uh, they were also described as having a one-year-old child. Um, when we looked at the jail records, we had seen that Rios and Castaneda, they had been arrested, but back in February of this year, and they were apprehended off the Interstate 10 freeway. So when the cops had the search warrant and went to the home, oh my gosh, you guys, they found illegal drugs, weapons, like there's a whole thing going on. They found cocaine, methamphetamine, heroin, large amounts of these drugs, by the way, oh guys. My God. Yeah, not minimal amounts. These are like huge amounts. Shotguns. They also found over $70,000, and but it was found at a different home, but it was still linked to the couple. So th- these people were in some shit. Dang. I didn't read that part. Yeah, they were like in some deep (laughs) shit. Yeah. So like we had told you before in the episode, there were remains that were found last June. They have since been positively identified as Jonathan and Audrey. The announcement came on October 14th. These remains were discovered in that undisclosed location that Riverside County sheriffs are still very tight-lipped about. But they were confident from the beginning that these remains would be that of Jonathan and Audrey because Sheriff Bianco stated that the investigation led them to these remains to which obviously were recovered. Yeah. Both of the families of Audrey and Jonathan, they're very, very active on Facebook. We're going to read a quote from Audrey's family that they posted on Facebook. It says, quote, apparently there are different stages of grief and loss. And I've had three years to find some healing, but again, I find myself lost in trying to understand my emotions. Today, we have received the long-awaited call on DNA confirmation. Our Audrey has been found. End quote. So sad. Those families, I know, waited three years to bring their kids home. 
I just hope that they can find some sense of comfort and, you know, these people are brought to justice, but three years of just not knowing it's got to be terrible. But now the families have to go through a trial and not only a trial, but a COVID trial. So how many times is it going to be delayed? Keep going. Keep back in court. Yeah. I just feel so bad. So that's our update for you guys on that episode. And we're going to roll into an actual bonus episode that we did for you guys on Thaddeus Saran out of Madera, California. Thaddeus was two years old. He was the sweetest little boy. Go to our social media. Um, We reposted his photo. He was found brutally murdered and burned in a rural field in Madera, California. Thaddeus's parents had reported him missing one morning, claiming that they woke up and he was missing. It was all total bullshit. Thaddeus had severe disabilities. He was unable to walk. So yeah, so for their whole story of, oh, he was in Spider-Man pajamas and we just woke up and he was gone. He has special needs. He, he's not going to hop the chain link fence around the property. Yeah, there's like, a super tall chain link. Such a bullshit story they gave. Yeah, chain link fence that was like around their property. Oh Go back and listen if you haven't. It's a pretty short one. But um, yeah, so the next day after they recovered his body, both of his parents were arrested and charged with first degree murder. The Madera County District Attorney Sally Moreno confirmed that Brasidia Saran and Sukinjar Saran were charged with murder and Adams law violations for involving felony child abuse against their son Thaddeus. Sally Moreno also said that we filed murder charges against the mother and father of Theo. We also filed in accordance with Adam's law. So it's child abuse leading to the death of a child under the age of eight. And it's a 25 year to life count. Adam's law increases the sentence for a person accused of child abuse. Adam's law went into effect September of 2010 when a toddler named Adam Carbajal was severely beaten by his mother's boyfriend, leaving him brain damaged. He's now being raised by his loving grandparents. He's a teenager, but he still has severe disabilities. He's unable to do anything on his own. So that's when that law sadly went into effect. A group formed to help find and organize vigils for Thaddeus proposed to the city council and also have a park named after Thaddeus in his memory. A Madero playground for kids with special needs at Centennial Park will be named after Thaddeus after the city council voted yes unanimously on the proposal on August 18th. The park is near Flume and 5th Street in Madera, and it's an all-inclusive park for kids with disabilities to feel free and just normal. You know, like the other kids that they see playing at the parks. We have one of them here, too. I've never been to it, but I've heard of it. Yeah. And I've seen, like, people chatting about it on Facebook. They get to, like, take their kids that can't go to a typical park. Such a special thing they did for Thaddeus to keep his memory alive, you know? Yeah. The park brings joy to kids who just need a little extra help, allowing them to thrive physically, socially, and educationally. It brings a boost of self-esteem to the kids who visit because they are able to do so many things on their own or with help. That they just can't do at a typical park, you know? Mm. So another light to come from this tragedy is a nonprofit foundation in Thaddeus's name that will assist children victims of domestic violence. That's so awesome that something like that is coming to light, you know? Yeah. Okay, so that is our update on Thaddeus. And now we move on to episode three, Tina Feltz from Pleasanton, California. 
Tina was a 14-year-old high school student at Foothill High School in 1984. She was walking home one afternoon, attempting to change up her typical routine, which was to ride home on the bus, because she was trying to escape what she knew was inevitable, being bullied by these horrible girls that would ride on the same bus. Tina, though, would never make it home. She was brutally stabbed 44 times, and her killer got away for a short time. Stephen Carlson was eventually arrested and charged with Tina's murder when his blood was found on her purse. He had always maintained his innocence until this past October when he openly confessed to what everybody knew. He took the life of Tina Feltz. And it's just so horrible that it took 36 years for him to confess. He's been behind bars for a long time. And now after 36 years, he's ready to come clean. And if you guys remember in the episode, we told you that Tina's beloved mother, she actually passed away the day of Stephen's trial. The day was supposed to begin. She died of a heartache. So she'll never get to obviously read the letter and see his confession, which is just horrible. So Stephen from behind bars had penned three letters in total, totaling nine pages. And he confessed to her brutal murder on the day on her way home from school. So Carlson gave prison officials permission to share his handwritten letters online. So if you actually go to the Tina Feltz Facebook support page, you can read them yourselves as well. But we just wanted to share with you a little part of it. Um, He started off one letter with, quote, This letter of my deepest apologies is way overdue. I was living in denial for many years, not being able to believe or take responsibility for brutally murdering you on the day of April 5th, 1984. I want you and your family to know that you did absolutely nothing to deserve what I did to you. That's what makes this murder so callous and horrific. End quote. In detail, he describes that Tina didn't deserve what he did and that he was drunk as a teenager Feeling some sort of rage while he was at home alone, he grabbed a kitchen knife from the kitchen drawer and literally ran to the culvert, hunted her down, and brutally stabbed her 44 times. Carlson said that he didn't mean to kill her, but in his intoxicated rage from being thrown in a dumpster earlier that day at school and being laughed at, he was saying that he was super upset and just didn't know what to do with all this rage he had inside. Another quote from one of the letters that he wrote, it states, I don't remember the stabbing motions. I just remember standing over her bloody body holding a bloody knife. It's just like gives me chills just reading it again. So Stephen Carlson's next parole hearing is actually in 2023. To be honest, it looks like someone's pleading for some sort of leniency by admitting to Tina's murder. But I hope he never sees the light of day. Yeah, me too. So our next update is from episode four, Todd Geib. Todd went missing after a keg and bonfire party in Casanova, Michigan, on June 12, 2005, Todd was described as a religious man and an avid outdoorsman, all-around great guy. So just after midnight, Todd had let friends know at the party that he was going to just get ready and go home. He was kind of over it. The walk home from the party to Todd's house should have only taken, I'm guessing, about 15 minutes because it was only about a mile away. It was, and it was pretty much a straight shot. 
Todd never made it home, and he was later found in a lake under extremely suspicious circumstances. If you guys haven't listened to this one, head over to episode four and listen now. Um, There aren't many updates to give you on this episode, but we just wanted to remind you guys that Todd's family is still very actively trying to have his case reopened. So we wanted to remind you that there is a Facebook page called Reopen Todd Guide's Case, and his family's super active on it. So if you guys want to head over there and like the page, you guys can stay up to date and also see if there's any ways that you guys can help. And we'll link this on our social media for you. Yeah, and as Rain and I were writing that case, we going through all of the research and all of the details, we're like, this is no way. You guys have to go back and listen because there's just no way that it was accidental at all. And honest, if it's my child, I want the case reopened. I want a closer look. The family deserves that. Yeah, They totally. need answers. So thank you guys for joining us on this special episode. Um, head over to our Facebook and Instagram. We have linked all of our articles that we use in our updates. We linked Michael's GoFundMe. Todd's Facebook page, Stephen Carlson's confession, it's all there. And keep in mind, any donations that you guys can provide to the Sandoval family, I mean, it would mean the world to them and helping them, you know, get Again, the answers. Yeah, even if it's a dollar, even if it's a share, please, please share that GoFundMe. We'll see you guys back here next week for a brand new episode, and we hope that you all have a very safe weekend and a safe week as well. Bye, Bye guys. guys.